0: I invite you to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And last Sunday, we looked at a a very encouraging passage that reminded us of the certainty of Christ's coming. Uh, The fact is, Jesus is returning soon to gather a faithful church. And in Ephesians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul refers to this church As a glorious church, a church not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but a church that is holy and without blemish. And here in 1 Thessalonians, the Apostle Paul says more than once that this church that the Lord returns for will be a blameless church. That describes a faithful church. A church that is living in light of the Lord's return. We all know full well this morning that a godly life doesn't just happen. It doesn't just happen. But instead it takes a a daily submission to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And that means ordering my life According to the word of God. Ordering my life according to the will of God. You see, we can say, yes, I believe that Jesus is coming again. Sure, I believe that. But then if we choose to, to, to live a loose life, if we fail to be serious about saying no to the flesh and yes to the spirit or if we simply get careless and neglect our relationship with Him, then that statement that we've made is simply a profession. It's not a possession, if you know what I mean. It's not something that we own. It's not really a part of us. It's just a profession. The Bible makes it very clear time after time that those who believe in Christ's second coming will live lives that are consistent With that truth. For example, in 2 Peter chapter 3, uh, verse 11, we read, Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation or, or lifestyle, holy lifestyle and godliness? Verse 14, Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent that ye may be found of him in peace without spot, And blameless. There it is again. Without spot and blameless. Be diligent. You believe Christ is coming again? That that requires something of you. And so I say all this to introduce the passage here that we want to look at this morning. We now come to the final verses of 1 Thessalonians where we note a number of rules to live by. And I've chosen the title till he comes, till he comes. Now, we don't find that uh, that phrase in this passage, but it implies that we will be doing something until he comes. You see, the Apostle Paul had just clearly written about the coming of the Lord right prior to this, and then right on the tail of those thoughts, he wrote these final instructions. Things that we will do till he comes. And to me, it, it fits perfectly. These are rules that children of the day, as we read here, these are rules that, that they will take seriously. And so let's read this passage here, and then we'll dig into it just a bit. Uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, starting at verse 12. And we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake and be at peace among yourselves. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, be patient toward all men, see that none render evil for evil unto any man, but ever follow that which is good, both among yourselves and to all men." Rejoice evermore, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Quench not the spirit, despise not prophesyings. Prove all things, hold fast to that which is good. Abstain from all appearance of evil. And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray God your whole spirit and soul and body... Be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he that calleth you, who also will do it. Brethren, pray for us. Greet all the brethren with an holy kiss. I charge you by the Lord this epistle be read unto all the holy brethren. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. Perhaps there would be other ways to title this passage. I'm sort of looking at it as... Uh, rules to live by till he comes Uh, but you could also look at it as keys to a healthy Christian life or keys to a healthy congregational life Uh, they would also fit in here very well you see in this list Paul gives instructions concerning three different groups of people in verses 12 and 13 He speaks about the church ministry and relating that relationship between the church ministry and the laity. In verses 14 and 15, he speaks about our relationship with others, whether it's brothers and sisters in the church or or those outside of the church. And in verses 16 through 22, he speaks about ourself, my personal life. So Paul begins by noting the relationship here between the ministry, and the laity. And he makes it clear that they each have responsibilities. Let's note here what he says about the ministry. First of all, uh, we note there in verse 12 that the ministry are those who labor among you. Or the NIV says they work hard. (laughs) They work hard among you. I'm reminded of this responsibility uh, from time to time. Obviously, uh, but as I was studying for this message, I looked up there on my, on my bookshelf and I noticed uh, the, the plaque, the certificate of ordination that I received when I was ordained. And a part of that charge reads this way. The minister of the gospel is to labor unceasingly for the extension of the kingdom of Christ. <laughs> That's somewhat staggering uh, to me to consider that in, in my responsibility But that is my heartfelt desire, uh, to to labor unceasingly for the cause of Christ, uh, for the good of the people of God. And certainly, this is no small job. However, it is a responsibility uh, that I find many rewards in. There is much blessing in. And you can find the same for yourself as you are involved in the work of the church and ministry in various ways. It's a large responsibility. It's overwhelming perhaps at times, but you will be blessed, and I trust that you have experienced that. He then notes that uh, the ministry are those that are over you, those that are over you. Now, the ministry is not to lord it over you, as Jesus referred to in, in Gentile leadership. Jesus said that, that the Gentiles, they, in leadership, they lord it over you. And that's more of, of ruling with an iron fist somewhat. Jesus said, no, that's, that's, not how, that's not how leaders are to be. Leaders are to be servants. Now certainly in the ministry, there is leadership. There is, to be, there is to be spiritual leadership and concern for the flock. And so in that way, the ministry is over you, giving guidance in that way. But it speaks of leading by serving, leading in a, in a father-like way, a father-like way of, of spiritual leadership to the congregation. We note then as well that uh, the leadership is called to admonish, admonish you. And this is one of the sides of, of ministry that is not very enjoyable. <laughs> uh, it's, it's perhaps difficult and unpopular uh, many a times. But church leaders are are often the ones who are called to provide correction uh, to those who are perhaps out of line with the word of God or out of line with the voice of the church. We are called to provide correction in that. And uh, this morning, I would say that as your pastor, I trust that I will never have to do that. (laughs) But if so, I trust that I can do it in, in love and gentleness. And then we see here what the congregation is called to do. The responsibility of the congregation uh, is to know them, speaking of the ministry, or to respect them. Uh, We also note that they are to esteem them highly for their work's sake. We also note that they are to be at peace. And I think of, of that relationship between the ministry and the laity. It's a working together relationship. And, and I mean, really this morning, I, I feel like I'm speaking to the choir, as it, is, as it were, uh, on this subject. I am um, just blessed, brothers and sisters, to be a part of a congregation that enjoys peace, that enjoys uh, respect towards one another. Uh, not that we're perfect, I fully am aware of that. But I bless you this morning for the part that you play in this congregation and what you are doing to provide a healthy congregational life. May the Lord bless you in that. But in thinking of the relationship between the ministry and the laity. In order for there to be peace. There must be a proper balance in that relationship. In other words, if the ministry leads with a, with a strong hand. And, and, is, and is demanding. And doesn't, and doesn't respect the voice of the congregation. Then yes, there will be trouble you can expect trouble but the same goes whereas if the congregation is not sensitive to the to the voice of the leadership if there is if there's an attitude of, of bucking at the leadership and in a uh, lack of sensitivity to the will of the leadership there's also problems and so i believe that it needs to be a two-way street you could say uh, that good congregational health happens when there is a proper balance in respect, when there is good uh, listening, when there is open ears uh, among all, and a a desire to work together for the good of one another. And may God help us here at Ebenezer to strive to that end. Paul moves on then uh, to speak about the relationships within the congregation, more in general, between the brothers and sisters in the congregation. Look at verse 14. Uh, He says, Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble minded, support the weak, be patient toward all men. And you might think, Now, wait a minute, Uh, that that sounds like the ministry's job to me. You know, all of a sudden, uh, I'll let the preachers handle that, right? But here, the Apostle Paul is speaking more to the larger body the congregation, the brothers and sisters. And so, This is not a word for the ministry as much, perhaps, as it is for you. You know, as members of the body of Christ, we have a responsibility to help each other. We have a responsibility to care for one another. And we believe that we are our brother's keeper. Yes, we do. We believe that we look out for one another and that we have a a great influence in the spiritual lives of of those that we relate to on a regular basis. And so yes, even though an individual has a personal accountability to God, their relationship is is with God, yet those of us that God has placed around them have a vital role in supporting them and, and spurring them on in the faith. Something we must not uh, take for granted or shirk. He notes here that we are to warn the unruly, or we are to admonish the idol, is perhaps a clear uh, renditioning of that. Admonish the idol, warn the idol, uh, in the Greek there, that has the idea of, of warning those who are not in proper order warning those who are not in proper order. And that term was sometimes used of soldiers who were out of line or soldiers who were out of their ranks. (laughs) They were not in their proper position. This speaks to us this morning specifically of a brother or sister who may be out of step with the church or out of step with the word of God, a desire to go their own way. We note that we are to admonish them. We have a responsibility as brothers and sisters to warn them because of our concern for them. We note then as well that we are called to comfort the feeble-minded or encourage the timid. It's another way of saying it. Encourage the timid. I'm not sure what all is implied by that. I'll be honest with you. There are various needs in the congregational life from time to time. Perhaps those are those who feel discouraged. Those who, yes, they feel a certain way about something, but perhaps they don't have the heart to to speak it. Maybe life is heavy for them. They need to be comforted. Comfort the feeble-minded. Encourage the timid. And then we are called to support or help the weak. I note in Galatians 6 verse 2 we read, Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Romans 15 1 says, We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak, and not to please ourselves. It makes it clear that there is a, there is a desire to help the other, more than tend to ourself. It's not an inward focus but an outward focus, and those are little things that reap huge rewards as we put them to play in the life of the congregation. And so in any congregation, at any time, there are usually opportunities to help the weak, to support the weak, whether it's physically. Uh, In the next couple weeks, there will be opportunities to support the weak, (laughs) take advantage of it. Perhaps there are opportunities to help and support the weak spiritually. But as brothers and sisters, we are encouraged and we are called to be active in helping in these ways. We also note at the end of verse 14 that we are to be patient toward all men. Patient. In the first three verses of Ephesians 4, we read this. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called with all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. It's interesting to note there that walking worthy and striving for unity goes right along with practicing patience with each other. Patience with those who who think differently than I do. Patience with those who may be slow to grow spiritually. Patience with those who who just I just can't get along with perhaps. Patience. You know, patience is an opportunity for us to Restrain our will for the good of another. And patience is not meant to be a grudging endurance. No, not at all. But patience is to be a loving forbearance. I found that practicing patience, it seems to always help the situation, but I found that perhaps I'm the one that it helps more than the other. Forbearing one another in love. Moving on here in verse 15. We note another mark of a healthy congregation. Another rule to live by till he comes. And that is the absence of a judgmental spirit. That is the mark of a healthy congregation. The absence of a judgmental spirit. See that none render evil for evil. But ever follow that which is good, both among yourselves and to all men. You know, it is our human nature uh, to want to get even. And it, it, is very, uh, it is a very childlike desire. I see it in our home very often. And so, as an adult, uh, I should have outgrown that, right? <laughs> right? Well, you would think so. But yet it is part of our human nature that tends to, to hang along more than we would like. That desire to get even, well, they did that to me, so I'm just going to do this to them, or I'm going to hold back, or I'm not going to smile at them, or the list could go on. How childish. <laughs> how, how selfish. And yet it's something that, uh, that we struggle with from, times, from time to times. I note what the Apostle Paul had to say about that. Some similar words in Romans chapter 12. You can turn back there for just a moment. Let's note here what we read in Romans chapter 12, starting at verse 17. Recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably. With all men, dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Wherefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in doing so, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. The absence of a judgmental spirit is the mark of a healthy congregation. It's a rule to live by that is a blessing, not only to us, but to those around us. You know, Jesus was very clear that his people will be people who practice forgiveness. Those people who must, who must always pay back every hurt, they are not happy and healthy. Not at all. But instead, they are sad. They are selfish. That type of attitude never produces joy in life. And that brings us right into the next verse here. You know, we're looking at rules to live by until he comes. And I find it very interesting that so far, they have all centered around our relationships. Our relationships with one another. But now Paul lists some qualities that need to be found in our personal life. We could say that the next three verses are a call for spiritual enthusiasm. Be joyful. Pray continually. Give thanks. It's a call for spiritual enthusiasm in life. You know, I am convinced that if you were to make these three commands... A goal for your life it would do a number of things but but three things it would do it would thrill the heart of God for one thing uh, secondly it would radically change you and your perspective of life thirdly it would revolutionize your relationships with each other I mean in a, in a positive way if we would make those goals for our life to be joyful always to pray continually uh, to, to give thanks in all things, I'm convinced that would change us in a big way. Rejoice evermore. Rejoice evermore. And, and this is not a, an attitude like, just be happy in spite of yourself or, or you know, Try to put on a good face, you know, plaster a, a plastic smile across your face. That's not what it's talking about. It's so much deeper than that. Instead, it's a command to praise God even when the circumstances around you are less than desirable. To praise God. You see, when we allow our focus to shift away from God and onto us and onto our problems, our joy comes to a screeching halt. All of a sudden, we don't have that joy anymore. We're thinking about ourselves, we're thinking about our problems. We feel so, so weighed down. But Paul said to the Philippians, he said, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say, rejoice. And therein lies the key for Rejoicing evermore. And that is, our joy is to be found in the Lord. Our focus is to be kept on God. Certainly a a worthy goal for spiritual growth. Pray without ceasing. You know, Paul and prayer go hand in hand. Time and time throughout Paul's writings, we note that how, how he said he, he prays continually for the churches. He prays constantly for them. He wants them to grow. He wants them to strive in their, in their oneness with each other and with God. In Ephesians 6.18, he says, Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication or prayers, For all saints, pray without ceasing. Let me read a little quote here from Oswald Chambers. Our thinking about prayer, whether right or wrong, is based on our own mental conception of it. The correct concept is to think of prayer as the breath in our lungs and the blood from our heart. Our blood flows and our breathing continues without ceasing. And we are not even conscious of it, but it never stops. Prayer is not an exercise, it is the life of the saint. That spoke to me. Prayer is not an exercise, it is the life of the saint. Beware of anything that stops the offering up of prayer. Pray without ceasing. Maintain the childlike habit of offering up prayer in your heart to God all the time. In everything give thanks. Thankfulness leaves no room for discouragement. It has been said that the seeds of discouragement cannot grow in the heart of a grateful man. You know, we are to give thanks in all circumstances. Not necessarily... For all circumstances, I'm reminded of the little boy who his father asked him to pray before the meal. And so the family bowed their heads. And the boy took a moment and he looked around, noted each plate of food that his mother had made. And then he bowed his head and he honestly said, Lord, I don't like the looks of this. (laughs) But I'm thankful for it. And I will eat it anyway. Amen. <laughs> Perhaps you've felt like that a time or two, as well. I don't know. But that is, that is giving thanks in all things, on a very childish level, of course. but it was very big to him, I'm sure, at the time. Another little illustration here is, in Corey Ten's book, "The Hiding Place," she wrote about an incident. Uh, that taught her to always be thankful. Now, she and her sister Betsy had just been transferred to the to the worst German prison camp that they had had they had seen to that point. And upon entering those barracks, they found them to be not only extremely overcrowded but also full of fleas. And that morning it happened, and the Lord does this. It happened that their scripture reading was from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, where it says, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of Christ Jesus concerning you. And so they were to rejoice always. They were to pray continually. They were to give thanks. That's what the scripture said. And so Betsy told Corey, Now you need to give thanks to God for, for the conditions that we have here. You must do that. That's what the scripture says. And Corey refused to. She said, I just can't can't do that. And Betsy insisted that 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 is what we need to do. That's what the Bible says. So at length, Corey decided to do that. And and she did thank God for for the conditions. And she even thanked God for the fleas. During the months they spent at that camp, they were amazed at how openly they could have prayer and Bible study in that that terrible prison camp. Uh, They freely had it. Uh, among themselves, among others there in that prison camp, there was, there was very little guard interference. And they didn't realize until sometime later that the reason for that was the fleas. <laughs> the guards didn't want to come into that barrack because it had fleas. You see how God works, sometimes not in the ways that, that we would like, but yet for his own good and for our own good, for his own glory. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. What is God's will for you right now? You know, we may not know what the future holds. We may not have all the answers to our questions right now. But there is one thing for sure that we do know. And that, that is that God wants us to be joyful. God wants us To pray without ceasing. God wants us to give thanks in all circumstances. This is the will of God for us, we read. And I realize it's easier said than done. Certainly is. But let us strive in this area to make God's will ours. We note then quench not the Spirit. Or I like how the NIV words it says, do not put out the Spirit's fire. Don't quench the Spirit. You know, we often talk about being sensitive to the Spirit's voice. What does that mean? What really does that mean? Once again, I note a little quote from Oswald Chambers in one of my devotionals by him. He says, The voice of the Spirit of God is as gentle as a summer breeze. So gentle that unless you are living in complete fellowship and oneness with God, you will never hear it. The sense of warning and restraint that the Spirit gives comes to us in the most amazingly gentle ways. And if you are not sensitive enough to detect his voice, you will quench it and your spiritual life will be impaired. This sense of restraint will always come as a still, small voice, so faint that no one except a saint of God will notice it. Whenever the spirit gives you that sense of restraint, call a halt and make things right. Or else you will go on quenching and grieving him without even knowing it. You know, the old Negro spiritual says, every time I feel the spirit moving in my heart, what? I will pray. (laughs) And and that's the attitude we're looking for this morning. It's It's an attitude of listening and being sensitive to the spirit of God. It's a willingness and a readiness to hear the voice of God and then act in obedience to it. And we we hear the voice of God in various ways. Uh, Through reading his word. We hear it perhaps in our Sunday school classes. We hear it perhaps through our parents. Uh, Perhaps through our school teachers. uh, Ministry. Various ways. Perhaps we hear that spirit of God speaking to us. Let's, Let's develop a sensitivity to that spirit's voice. And then we read here, despise not prophesyings. That word to despise has the idea of to make no account of. To make no account of. Paul is referring here to people who are guilty of hearing the word of God. The word of God that is is taught and that is preached uh, in power, in truth. But then they simply ignore the message. They go away unchanged. uh, And therefore it it has no effect on their life. Dear people, this morning, the Word of God is not a buffet. In other words, it's not meant to just simply pick what we want and leave the rest. That's not what the Word of God is for this morning. James 1.22 says, But be ye doers of the Word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. In other words, it is implied there that if we think we can take the Word of God and just simply hear it and read it, and then that's all it takes from us. That's good enough. We're deceiving ourselves. There is no power in that. The power is when we then say, yes, Lord, I need that. Thank you, Lord. And then striving to live in accordance to what is heard, what is read. There is power there. There is blessing there. And so let us not be guilty Of picking and choosing our way through the Bible but let us faithfully apply the whole word to our life verses 21 through 22 here says prove all things hold fast to that which is good abstain from all appearance of evil we are to test we are to hold and we are to avoid test Hold and avoid. Herein, I say, lies the recipe for living a pure and holy life. How bad do you want it this morning? How bad do you want it this morning? And are you willing to do what it takes to stand pure and holy before the Father? You know, Jesus is returning soon for a spotless church, for a faithful church. And I believe this morning that a spotless church is made up of people who prove their commitment by making those unpopular choices in today's world. I believe that a spotless church is made up of people who prove that they are serious by having discernment that is consistent with the word of God. Good discernment. Discernment that is consistent with the truth of God's word. I believe that the spotless church of God is made up of people who are willing to be considered weird or different by their friends in order to be called faithful one day by God. The spotless church. James one twenty seven says, Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction, and to keep himself unspotted from the world. I just ask you this morning, are you actively and intentionally doing what it takes to live a pure and holy life? Are you making those unpopular decisions in order to hear that, well done, thou good and faithful servant? You know, these rules to us might seem a little strict at times. They might, they might rub us the wrong way as human beings sometimes. But they're for our, our eternal good. They're meant to guide us in the ways of God. The reward at the end for those who obey is living in the presence of God himself. What a joy that will be. And I trust that we are living with that in mind. Well, we've spent the majority of our time here looking at what we must do. In light of the Lord's return, you know, till he comes, there are things that we must do. There are rules that we must live by. But now, in closing, I just want to note what God promises to do for us. What God promises to do for us. Yes, truly there are requirements for holy living. But let us not forget that our salvation comes from the Lord. It is God who saves us. Uh, Truly, we cannot save ourselves. But let's note here what God promises to do for us. Presently, verse 23, note verse 23. And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Presently, the Lord is working in our lives. He is sanctifying us wholly. And that that word has the idea of through and through every bit of us. He wants to do a work in us. He He wants to bring us more into the image of Jesus Christ. He wants to knock those rough edges off of us. He wants to make us come forth pure as gold. And so presently, he is sanctifying us wholly. Through and through. Spirit, soul, and body, it mentions here. Every bit of us. That's the work of sanctification that God is doing. And longs to do within each of us. And then I note that in the future, he will present us before the Father Blameless. (laughs) blameless <laughs> that's staggering to consider that when when you think about your own personal life when you consider your shortcomings your failures your leanings and then you hear and read that god one day will present us before the father blameless that's because of the blood of jesus christ that's through the blood of Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord for that. It's, it's, not of, it's not of ourself, but it's truly through Him. Well, that's what God is doing. And that's what God will do for us. And why? Verse 24, because He's faithful. Faithful, he's, faithful is He that calls you who also will do it. Sometimes we use that verse and speak as it relates to uh, our responsibilities that feel heavy. And that goes along well as, there's, you know, as well. But, but in, the, in the context right here, it's talking about how God will sanctify us, how God will present us blameless before the Father. And then he says, it's God that's going to do it. Faithful is he who calls you, who also will do it. He'll complete that. God is faithful. Well, I'm so thankful this morning for the faithfulness of God. For the love and mercy of God that keeps striving with me. And I'm thankful this morning for the keeping power of God. I would just like to close with these two verses from Jude 24 and 25. Now unto Him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before His presence before the presence of his glory, with exceeding joy, to the only wise God our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and ever. Amen. Praise the Lord. Shall we have a song?